Good morning, then. So, um, yes, we're in the middle of Fools on the Hill. And today, I have got to say before I start, really, this is a really difficult passage. I, I, I want you to hear that this is really sensitive. Um, I, like Ari has just prayed, going to try and communicate something from it. And... I want you to, to understand that. Oh dear, I must not be water over. Mm. I want you to understand that the whole thing, the whole thing about the falls on the hill, the Sermon on the Mount, is is a, is this, yeah. Like we've said before, it's about this. It's about yours and mine. This thing, this heart. And what Christ is doing, he's taking a broken heart and he's restoring it and putting it back together. You know, he's come to heal the brokenhearted. He's come to set captives free. And this is what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's meeting us head on. And today's passage, he doesn't only meet head on, he actually gets into this and he highlights what we're capable of in here. And he wants to push things out that don't belong in his kingdom. So this is a really, really sensitive subject. So please be forgiving to me if I say something that offends because it's not intended to offend at all. We're looking at... We're looking at healing, we're looking at restoration, but it's really a tough subject. So remember this as we go through, and remember that this is what God is doing. So, right. So we're driving on the right-hand side of the road, remember? We're driving on the right-hand side of the road, and it's in a world where everyone else is driving on the left. Yeah, do you remember that? Making that as an illustration. Things that he's asking us to do in the Sermon on the Mount is a complete change of culture, a complete change of attitude. So he wants us to drive on the right, but everyone else who doesn't know him, who's not looking at this, is driving on the left. Now that is okay unless this happens, where you meet others going the other direction. So the problem is with this is there's collisions with people. There's collisions with this world. There's accidents that happen. So we drive on the right because... We drive on the right because our driving instructor is giving us directions. And he wants us to drive on the right. Now, I don't know whether you're aware of an expression that says, now, but not yet. Yeah, anybody heard of now, but not... Thanks, Gary. A couple of others. It's to do with God's kingdom. And what it means is, now, today... You can enter God's kingdom. It's available to you. But it hasn't come in its fullness. But it is coming. 
It will come. But today you can enter, and the reason you can enter God's kingdom today is because Jesus Christ reigns. Just like we've been singing about earlier, he reigns. And he's been reigning since his resurrection. He tells his disciples that all power and authority in heaven and on earth, in both spheres, has been given over to him. He reigns. The door is open for his kingdom. But it will come. It will come at the end of this age when the the whole kingdom arrives. Now, at that point, when it's fully here, everybody in his kingdom, absolutely everyone, will drive on the right. You got it? Everyone will drive on the right. There will be no more collisions no more accidents. Everybody would have learnt to drive on the right and will be driving on the right. God's righteous requirements for his kingdom are so outrageously high, it's impossible to obtain them. For somebody like me, in my state, I have absolutely no chance of achieving the righteous requirements that he sets because they are so high because they are his standards so it's impossible for me to gain entry to his kingdom it's like if I take you this afternoon we could go into London yeah we could get on the train go into London walk along the embankment and go down to see the shard yeah and whilst we're there we can stand on the pavement outside the shard And look up and see the height of the building. And then I will jump and see if I can touch the top. Yeah? Now that's ridiculous, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how hard I have trained, how much work I have put into it. I'm not going to achieve it. It doesn't matter how much support you give me and encouragement, I'm not going to make it. But if I go inside the shard, I can get in a lift. I can get in an elevator and go all the way to the top. And then when I'm there, I can see everything so differently. I can start to see how I used to live and where I was when I was jumping up and down on the pavement. I can see far more now than I could ever see before. And it is is like that. Christ has come so that I can trust in him. I can be carried by him into God's kingdom, into his righteous standards, his righteous requirements. Now, a few weeks back, Andy spoke on the last passage of this that we looked at about murder, anger, and what was going on in the heart, I think, yeah, heart. Um, and Andy said something wonderful, and he said, the funny thing is, years ago, when he was a much younger Christian, he said, I'm a bit suspicious of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, said, because he understands and he knows that God's gospel, Christ's gospel, is a gospel of grace. It's a gift, and it is given to you. But he says, you look at the Sermon on the Mount and it appears as if you're working at it. 
You're making it happen. Now, he knows it's not the case. And he said, but the thing is, he used to be suspicious of that. And it is this. We have received a gift of grace from God in Jesus Christ. All I need to do is trust on him and what he has achieved. And having received that gift, I then follow him. And he wants me to live on the right side. He wants me to continue in his wake and do the kind of lifestyle that he did. So that's where we are. That's what we're doing today. We're looking further into this. Now this is where we want to get to today. This is the take home that we would really like to get to. I'd like us to take this away with us. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, now that you can find that in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. But that's the take home. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Right. Now, at last, you say, at last we get to the passage that we're looking at today. Okay. <clears throat> so, We've done anger and murder, and now we move into this. And you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one part of your body than for, you, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. See, it's pretty, it's pretty hard stuff, this. This is why I was saying about how it gets right in the very heart of us. He also mentions in Matthew 19, he talks about divorce. And he's asked again, and he's consistent with what he says about it. And having been asked uh, by some Pharisees, he says this. Uh, the Pharisees say, Why then did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It, is, it was not, not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Okay, yes, it's not a wonderful subject. So that's what we, come, that's what we get out of this. Lust, adultery and divorce are the things that he is really pinpointing. The reason why Christ speaks so strongly about this is because it's covenant relationships and he takes them very seriously. 
Covenant relationships are far more than just a friendship or a, a connection with somebody. Covenant relationships go far deeper and more inclusive. So Sarah's going to help us here. So this is just a normal friendship would be just this. You know, we, we get on. <laughs> and that is great. But a covenant relationship is where there's a bond that goes far greater. And what this means is everything that is Sarah's is now mine. And everything that is mine is now hers. And, and that includes all of us. That is us 100%, all in, committed. And once this has been bonded, and once this has been put together, to break it is incredibly difficult because there's damage, there's pain, and there's great loss. So, thank you. Um, so he takes covenant relationships incredibly seriously. Lust destroys things. Lust and anger are powerful emotions. And if you allow them in your thoughts to roam wherever or in your heart, they will change the way you behave. If it carries on being allowed to grow uh, un unchallenged, we start to change. And we change the way we treat one another. And that could be in a marriage, it could be friendships, it could be any kind of relationships. Because we start to treat people differently and we start to abuse relationships. Now the language that Christ is using this is all going in one direction. It is all heading towards the male. It's all pointed at men. Now, that's probably a good way of looking at it because this is probably an issue that is predominantly male. But everyone can have lustful thoughts. Everyone can um, look at people lustfully, whether that you're a woman, whether you're single or married. It doesn't matter. Everyone, can, everyone is included in this. So... Without you responding or raising a hand or anything like that, is it possible for you to go through life without committing adultery in your heart? Now, you're the only one that knows that, same as me. We're the only ones that know whether this is possible or not. Jesus goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin or causes you to fall... Pluck it out and throw it away. He says, it's better you do that. And he says, if your right hand causes you to fall, causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better you do that and go through life maimed, but don't go to hell at the end of it. Now, he's exaggerating the point. I don't think for one moment any of us take him seriously and think, what he's actually saying is, I've got to take an eye out or, you know, mutilate myself in some way. But he exaggerates to make a point because he can't exaggerate enough 
how damaging lust is. So what are the triggers? What are the things that cause you to go down a road? If you go down a road like this, what is the things that trigger us? So he's saying, get rid of them, whatever they are. Get rid of them. If you're wise, get rid of the thing that trips you up. Now, this could be a, a, to do with today's subject or any subject. If we, if, if we are led into sin in some way, identify the issue that gets you there. So he says, get rid of the eye. Stop looking at the things you shouldn't be looking at or the things that you cannot handle. Stop reading things. Stop watching movies and things that you know you have a weakness for. He comes straight into the point where he says, stop doing the things that you do that take you away. Now, he's doing this and saying this not to embarrass, not to shame, not to hurt anybody. He's saying and doing this because he wants us to identify what the issue is and then get rid of it. This is the very best way I can find to illustrate what he's looking for. And that is this. I walk down a street. There's a deep hole in the street. I fall in. Do you know what? I'm lost. I'm hopeless. I want to make it clear. It's not my fault. It takes forever to get out. Sometime later, I go down the same street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I pretend not to see it. I fall in again. I can't believe this. I'm in the same place again. I'm going to make it absolutely clear, it's not my fault, okay? It takes so long to get out. Sometime later, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I see it. I still fall in. It's a habit but my eyes are open. I know where I am now. It is my fault. I get out as quick as I can. Sometime later, I walk down the same street. I see the hole in the pavement. I do my best to walk around it. Sometime later, I go down a different street. Go down a different street. Just go down a different street. If you keep doing the same things, the same result will happen. And what we're talking about today, the same result happens and it gets worse. It gets deeper. If I go down a different street and avoid it altogether, I can be free of it. I really have struggled putting this together because looking at what Christ says about divorce, 
It's so painful. I'm a divorced man. Um, it's no, you know, there's, there's lots of things that happen in relationships. There's lots of things that go off in different directions that you were never expecting to do. Time and different things change. People change in time. He speaks very clearly about divorce and it's really painful to read. He gives grounds for divorce. And I think some of the grounds that he gives are to do with certain attitudes of the time. But he's consistent. He's consistent in what he says is grounds for divorce. There was an argument that was taking place at the time between two groups in uh, Israel where they were debating the divorce laws and what was justified reasons for divorce. And one group says it can be absolutely anything you want it to be. You can divorce on any grounds. And there was another group that says, no, it has to be to do with sexual immorality. And they wanted Christ to get involved in the argument. Hence why in Matthew 19, I think I skipped over it a little while ago when I was being heckled. Um, <laughs> but he, he's challenged on it and he's, he doesn't want to get, he's not going to get involved in their argument. He ignores their question. And he says, do you not know what it says? And he says, he, he quotes Genesis. And he says, in the very beginning, the creator made man and woman and the two become one, and that's that. And he says, so what God has put together, let no, nobody, let no man separate. And then they say, ah, but then why? Why did Moses give us a command to divorce? And he says, no, he hasn't given you a command to divorce. He's made it possible. There's a concession being made here. Now, you've got to remember how committed God is to covenant relationships and how much is invested in covenant relationships from God. So he's, he challenges them back and he says, no, it's, it's because of your hearts that that was allowed. It's because your hearts were hard towards one another. That's why that happens. God has had his issue with um, his own people, covenant relationship. He understands what it is. He says, I'm a husband to you. I'm a good husband to you, he says to Israel. But Israel commits adultery by going off and worshipping other gods. And eventually... In Jeremiah, he says, I gave you a certificate of divorce. I sent you away just like they wanted. He's done to them. But even in that, he's working on reconciliation. He's working on bringing them back because he is so committed to covenant relationships. Now, for a, for a man who's been divorced, uh, it changes your whole outlook on things. It changes your whole life. What you thought you were going to do and where you thought you were going to go, it now changes. But I, I was told when I was young that marriage is just a piece of paper. You know, just a piece of paper and it says that you're now married. You know, there's a certificate and 
I've got to tell you, that is the biggest load of rubbish. Because that is exactly what the Pharisees were looking to try and get. It's just a piece of paper. We can divorce on any ground, surely. They don't want to uphold this incredible opportunity people have of being committed to one another. They don't want to protect marriage. They're looking for ways of the get-out clause. When my first marriage ended, I can't explain how painful that was, but it was so painful. I had never felt pain like it really stopped me in my tracks. And it it wasn't just a, okay, a couple of weeks later, you're fine. It's not. Your whole life stops. You watch the world and they're all getting on with life. And, but it's not like that at the moment. You know, it's not like that for me. I, I knew there would be a time where things would change and it will get better. You'll come through this and you'll get better. But it's so, it's so painful and it's, it's different for different people, I'm sure. But the pain went so deep because it is not a piece of paper. It is not a piece of paper. And it's far greater than that. I heard a a guy speaking once and he said about um, covenant. And he said about the wedding ring. He said, you know, uh, I don't know what culture he was talking about. I can't remember that now. But he said there was a culture where when a man and a woman were going to be married, they would cut around that finger so it would bleed. They would cut all the way around like a circumcision. And the woman would have the same. And then they would have to mingle their blood together because the two were now going to be one. And hence, they would always have that scar where the two of them had blended. So now we don't do that. Now we put a ring on instead. But there there it is. That's, That's the sign of the covenant that we have. It goes so much deeper. I think the thing that Christ is really talking about, he's, he's, he is so, I think, angered by people's attitude towards marriage because it is far, far, far more than we, than we think it is in God's eyes. It is so much more. Now, there are other passages in Scripture that talk about divorce and they give slightly different views on grounds for divorce. And I would say, really and truly, there's so many more things to be taken into account when it comes to somebody deciding that this is it, we can't go any further. If, if people approach divorce with the fact that they're looking at it, if we can correct things, if we can make things right, great. But if we can't, or one person can't do it, then you have to, you have to look at the individual case. And there are lots of things that come into play. It is not straightforward. Letting go of something that is bonded like that is not straightforward. Hopefully, the majority of us will never, ever experience that. Hopefully. Hopefully, the majority of us will have control of our emotions, yeah? Our anger, lust, hopefully we'll have control of that. 
hopefully we will take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ so that we don't allow something to run riot within us. This world says everything is okay. Pretty much everything is okay. But they're driving on the left, yeah? They're not going to be driving on the right when the kingdom fully comes if they don't know Christ. They're driving on the left and they will tell you to drive on the left. Come on, get over here. But we are different people. We have been called into his kingdom and his way of doing things. I, I think I'm going to close in prayer here. And I do have just that to put up. I'm just going to ask you, what are your triggers? What are my triggers? What are the things that lead me to fall? Do I need to talk to someone that I trust if there's something that I need to, to unpack or I need help with? And take this home. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Father, we thank you for, for this morning. We thank you that we are gathered here in freedom today to come in, to worship you, to draw close to you. Thank you for your word, Lord. And thank you for what you are doing in each one of our hearts. Father, we pray that you continue to restore us, continue to challenge us where we need challenge, continue to bring healing where we need healing, and reveal to us, because we sometimes are the last person to spot something in our own lives, but reveal to us, Lord, the things that we need to, to let go of, the things that we need to confess to you and allow you to bring healing in. Father, help us to be a repentant people. Help us to be a people that are following your example and that will follow through, Lord, into your kingdom when it fully arrives. So, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're about today. And we thank you, Lord, that you are at work in us. And we thank you for that privilege, Lord. Amen.